2: Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, on the infidel that Allah warns you about I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Monday morning. I hope you had a great weekend, a great Lord's Day. And if you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. If you would like to watch the video portion of the show, we're going to be showing uh, some documents, uh, statements, videos, and other things. You can join us at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Scroll down right on the right there. That's right. You can see the face made for radio right there going live on sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can also catch up that live video feed on my Twitter account at fpptim, my Periscope account at Setting Fires. Our Facebook page is Bradley Dean SOL, our YouTube channel, BDean Sons of Liberty, beforeitsnews.com right there on the front page, and also DLive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. And finally, you can get us on Spreely, Gab, MeWe, Minds, and USA.life at Sons of Liberty or Sons of Liberty Medium. If you'd like to call in at any time, you got a comment or a question. We're going to have guests coming on in a few minutes. 215 Top Talk, 215 867 You can call in. Uh, with your questions or comments, and we'd love to hear from you. All right, real quickly, I'm going to get this so we can bring our guest on, and we're probably going to run over today, so I'm letting you guys know on Red State Talk Radio that if you want to join us later um, in the show after we're closing out the radio show, you can join us on any of those other platforms, and we'd love to have you, or you can catch the archive at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Now, today, uh, the topic is going to be one probably nobody saw coming. The man who would be president's plane was shot down in 1983. But were the American people lied to about it? Well, we know our government has been lying to us for some time now. Uh, In 1983, a commercial flight was alleged to have been shot down by Russia. But facts have shown that the plane landed safely. Although President Ronald Reagan agreed with the Soviets that all aboard died in a crash landing. One of the men aboard was Congressman Larry McDonald, one of the few Dr. Knows in Congress. McDonald was not only the president of the John Birch Society, but he was also on his way to becoming president of the United States. Yet, today, 99% of Americans don't even know his name. Now, before I bring my guest on, some people believe that the, that this plane was taken down because this man spoke out. Now, this is a Democrat, Okay this is this this guy is this guy was a patriot okay and I want you to hear what he had to say and for some of you out there it's going to blow your mind that a Democrat actually talked like this I'm going to play two two clips this first one's short it runs about almost three minutes but you're going to be amazed at what you hear here all right here we go
3: once again, we'll remind you that Congressman McDonald will be in Chickamauga this morning at nine, Fort Oglethorpe at ten thirty, Ringgold at two. Whether you agree with him or not, I'm sure he'd like to meet you and hear Perfect. your views. Uh, we were talking about the Atlanta papers a minute ago. One of the big complaints they have about you, and not just them, but but people who are opposed to you, say that although you do express your beliefs well, that you are not an effective congressman. That you're a lone voice in the wilderness. Uh, you're a maverick. That anything you support is sometimes considered a joke by other congressmen. What do you think about
1: those? Oh, it's very easy. To do. All you have to do is ask for a definition of the word effective. Effective at what? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they say, oh, you know me, effective at passing laws. Well, I personally believe that we don't need a lot more laws. I think we've got far too many laws on the books now. That's part of the problem. Our government is far too... We don't need more government, more laws. We need a lot less. I'm up there trying to dismantle a lot of this giant government. But let's stop and just think about when you, quote, pass a law, with the current attitude in the Congress, what do you get in a law today? You get either more spending or more taxes or more controls. That's the three things. Let me ask you, which do you want? Do you want more spending? Uh, I think we've got too much. Do you want more taxes? I think we're taxed too heavily now. Do you want more controls over your life? Does, Does anybody say, hey, look, I really believe the federal government needs to control me. I want to be a slave. Please tell me how to run every facet of my life. I don't hear many people saying that. I think most people say, I think it's time we get the government off our backs and out of our pockets. Yes, I think the people who believe that the welfare state is a disaster, the people who are trying to slow down this humongous growth in the federal government and the stifling of the american dream uh... these are viewed as the mavericks these are viewed uh, congressman phil crane is viewed as being not effective. congressman john ashbrook one of the great americans of this century prior to his recent strange tragic death uh... was an individual who was constantly criticized being not affected and today to be effective you have to be one of those saying more government, more spending, and more controls, more taxes, and I'm not part of that breed, and I'll uh, readily admit to that. Why do you think that the public, who m- most people say we don't want more government, I mean, almost everybody says that, we want less government, why do they put up with increased government intervention? Why do they put up with it? I think that, uh, you know, Joseph de Maistre said, except he said it in French about 200 years ago, that you get the kind of government you deserve. And I think that's true. I think the problem today is that we do not have an informed electorate. The average good person on the street, the average good citizen, black and white, Democrat, Republican, young and old, doesn't have the foggiest idea of what is going on, and their response to it. Okay, and, we're
3: out of time, Congress. Well, we appreciate really. you. Kind of wish hey, we wish we had another hour. <laughs> and
2: uh, people, many people don't want to know. They they don't want to know these things. Now, this next clip is going to run a little longer, but you talk about somebody calling out communism. The Democrat Party, I've told you today, is openly communist. They're openly socialist. They're openly Marxist. Here's a Democrat in, in the early 80s who would call it out. Now, there, it's going to include, right at the 1st, um, a, a brief report by Connie Chung on NBC where the plane had been shot down. That's the report that was out. Then, you're gonna, then we're going to transition over to an episode of Crossfire. Now, this Crossfire, remember Pat Buchanan, he used to be on it. Larry McDonald was on it. I, this is, I want you to get a flavor for the plane that was alleged to have been taken down by Russia, okay? And the major guy who was on it doesn't – I don't want to diminish the lives of other people because our guest had two family members on. But I want you to get a flavor for what was going on at the time – And um, here's the clip. We're going to roll that now. The CIA warned a disgraced former President Richard Nixon not to get on this flight 007. But apparently they didn't warn Congressman McDonald. And uh, we want to know how the CIA The official Soviet news agency TASS today reported that former President Richard Nixon was scheduled to fly on that ill-fated Korean jet that was shot down by the Russians. But TASS says Nixon canceled his reservation at the last minute. Because the CIA
0: warned him against taking the flight. Because the CIA warned him against taking the flight. The Soviets had tailed the distinctively shaped commercial jumbo jet for two and a half hours and then shot it down.
4: Uh, Mr. McDonald, I'm not a conspirator. Uh, I think even Buchanan would vouch for that. Uh, well, but you uh, are. Uh, Robert, Robert Welch. Robert Welch. Right? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Yeah, Is that you had a conspiracy? Well, you've certainly... Well, it, let me just tell you what. Newsweek says that says this. The John Birch Society considers communism only one arm of a national of a master conspiracy in which socialist American insiders are plotting to establish world government. Now, it also says, and here's Director John McManus, that's your public relations director, saying that former Secretary of State Alexander Haig and CIA Director William Casey are two of these master conspirators who are plotting to establish world government. Now, what do you uh, you know, that kind of silly, asinine statement is what makes, pe- makes people laugh at the John you say.
3: Well, Tom, I'm sure being a long-standing member of the Rockefeller apparatus uh, and as a member of the Council on Foreign Relations of Longstanding, you're fully aware that you, there is an elitist core in this country that has seen value in subsidizing communism or protecting communism. It has? sure yeah. you're yeah. accusing me of subsidizing coming no no, i'm saying because that I, that I happen isn't. to belong no. to a no. No, there is
0: an elite core. policy study no, group
3: they, no, wait a minute there is an elite core in this country that has dominated american society well i'm not one of them so trilateral
0: French. commission the trilateral a commission council on foreign, on
3: foreign relations state state well let's face it they've dominated the state department for 40 years mm-hmm. and uh, pretty mm-hmm. much openly all right so. but what are they trying to do well to their objective is to try to bring about a gradual transition in our society a uh, dissolving of sovereignty and a moving steadily to the left on the
0: political spectrum. Well, who That's are the they? Belief,
3: the elitist groups that I mentioned, particularly key individuals and policymakers in and the Council the on Foreign Relations. Is the International
0: Monetary Fund part of this? Well,
3: I would say the International Monetary Fund has certainly been set up for the purpose of facilitating that transfer of sovereignty and transfer of wealth on the road. We to we Mr. Conservative Let me just finish the point, right. because uh, otherwise we're going to have a lot of un- unanswered questions that you are looking at a group that has worked to bring about the dissolution of national sovereignties on the road to world government. And certainly uh, you're familiar with uh, local professor Carol Quigley, who has been part of your club, in which he admitted all this. And he said in his book, Tragedy and Hope, the only thing I disagree is that we've worked to keep it a secret. You see Arthur Schlesinger, Jr., writing way back in 1947, says, yes, this is the hidden policy of America. But we can't tell the American public because they're too unsophisticated to see the value. What is the instrumentality of world government? What is, is the, like? the instrumentality? Of all the What to say about Arthur, that's the silliest statement I ever heard. Well, he never made anything like well, that. Well, let me suggest that you read the May-June issue of the Partisan Review of 1947, Tom, and you can read it for yourself. It's called... Well, that's it your said there was a conspiracy, oh. a conspiracy oh, to oh, promote communism. Oh, no, he didn't use the word conspiracy. I he said so the objective... Was kind to bring about, well, let me finish. I'll tell you. He said that the objective, the secret policy, which we can't tell the American public because they're not sophisticated enough to see the value, is that through a steady result of erosion of new deals, we bring the American society steadily to the left. All right. And through a signed concept of benign containment, we merge into the vital center of the socialist left. Those are his words, not mine. Hey, I think what, John what, Kennedy was a member of that no, no, let me
0: ask you this. The uh, World Federalist Movement in the post-war era contained a lot of people who eventually broke with it, and a lot of people thought the UN, in the post-war era, looked toward world government. Indeed they did, up until 48, 49, but a lot of them said, look, we were utopian, that's over and done with. We can't move, and a lot of them came in Kennedy's government, Uh, Schlesinger was in there when they were fighting uh, in Vietnam, launched the effort in Vietnam, Schlesinger was behind the Bay of Pigs. In other words, look. Isn't there some move that occurred in the post-war era that now has been dissipated because nobody believes in the utopian ideal of world government anymore?
3: Well, I think there are those that realize that moving straight from a prototype of the United Nations into world government perhaps is tactically impossible. But phasing out uh, increasingly national sovereignty into regional government uh, and phasing out sovereignties into international treaties in multiple areas
0: the whole er- be a route. The whole movement toward, quote, interdependence.
3: Yeah. NATO
4: is part of the conspiracy?
3: Well, there are certainly elements in NATO. There are people in uh, in NATO who are very strongly dedicated to the defense of the West. Uh, But at the same time, you find in NATO a steady dissolution. You find a growing weakness as a uh, NATO policy uh, dominated by State Department policies that has not worked. Well,
4: uh, it's a regional grouping, and I think, therefore, it may be suspect by the John Birch Society.
0: We're talking with Congressman Larry McDonald, who has recently been elevated, I guess, to chairmanship of the John Birch Society, succeeding uh, Robert Welsh. We'll be back in a minute.
2: Now you tell me this isn't poignant to today. You can see the effects almost 40 years later.
4: Welcome back to Crossfire. Our guest is the new chairman, recently named chairman of the John Birch Society, Congressman Larry McDonald, a Democrat from Georgia. Uh, Mr. McDonald, your your predecessor believed that the PTA was too left wing, and that uh, and the John Birch Society at one time tried to infiltrate it, uh, or so he said. He used the word infiltrate. Are <laughs> uh, you still? Is that
3: part of your program now? Well, I think when the PTA comes out in this program for the Test Ban Treaty and when the PTA comes out for gun control, and comes out for, obviously, national legislative programs that have been linked with liberalism, uh, having nothing to do with education of our children. I think many people are wondering what in the world is the PTA doing, and that includes members of the John Birch Society. Well, and I, wonder and
4: uh, I wonder about you. I wonder about you. I looked you up. You're, you're, you're the biggest joiner that I've ever seen in the world. You belong, as I counted them, to the 67 organizations among which are the National Rifle Association, the American Pistol and Revolver Association, the Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, the Second Amendment Foundation, and the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms.
3: Well, Tom, I think there's a real drive in this country to try to destroy the realization of our citizens that they have a fundamental constitutional right to keep and bear arms as the Constitution allows. And, unfortunately, there are those in our society, including elements of the PTA nationally, not always locally by any stretch, but nationally, who would uh, believe that the federal government uh, should restrict the right of citizens to keep and bear Can I what get back to that? What kind of grades
0: the? do you give Ronald Reagan as president? And what kind of yeah. grades does the John Birch Society give him?
3: Well, I would say in his speeches, uh, Pat, you'd have to give him close to an A, B-plus to an A. But in his performance, uh What's most disappointing? Well, I think the fact that the rhetoric is going one way and the record is going another. Well, let me ask the you about uh, the this conspiracy again. Well, you can take the issue of, of uh, the, one of the major problems of this country is inflation right. and the problems of the destruction of the dollar. And the fact of the matter is, in spite of promises of the contrary, uh, Reagan uh, has not moved to correct the deficiencies. We're now back to well, do you think economics, that's despite uh, comments to the contrary. Do you
4: think that's a p- result of the conspiracy you mentioned? Is there somebody working on him to get the inflation so that so that this country will be weakened.
3: There well, was a man who campaigned against elitism. As a man who, in his campaign rhetoric, said that he would not be having the Council on Foreign Relations, trilateral types dominating his cabinet. He's got about two hundred and fifty members of such in his administration. Well, let me ask you members. about Bill Casey. Now, I've known two hundred and fifty members I've well, known well, of the of the trilateral yeah. committee. I've, I've known Bill the CMR Casey in the administration.
4: I've known Bill Casey, the director of CIA since World War II. As a matter of fact, in World War II, he was my boss. Now, you you. Your uh, public relations director, the John Birch Society, says that... Which is why this guy is, is so opposed to Larry
3: McDonald.
0: Conspiracy well, to bring about world before, government.
3: before he became CIA, one of his big jobs was aiding in the transfer of technology and uh, goods and so forth to the Soviet Union, uh, helping the Cameroon River Project, the Export-Import Bank, oh. helping the finance Is the Export-Import Bank part of the conspiracy? I think the, it, the, I'm the whole, whole drive, drive that the the fact that the American people have been tapped steadily especially since World War II, to finance their enemies and to have the massive technology transfer to those uh, who were... You know that from the Braden Doctrine in the the agency, uh, which uh, you're very familiar with. And the feeling that uh, we must somehow subsidize the, quote, non-communist left. Uh, that's among our so-called allies. And in country after country, left. that turned out to be the communists, mm-hmm. the crypto-communists masquerading. Yeah, as that's, the Mr.
4: that's Mr. Mitterrand, who has taken the strongest position against the Russians of any Western European. Well, region? he
3: was about to lose everything at the polls, and he had to show some sign. Uh, it's very difficult to say exactly how far that will go. Congressman
0: McDonald, he's been yeah. using the term conspiracy no i didn't use it no, for no, heaven's no. sake Pat. the john oh, birch society used it i don't want to go through the tapes <laughs> well, <it laughs> it is. don't 45. blame it
4: on me he <laughs> used it you've used it 45 times that's right they say this is a conspiracy right. i want to know what the conspiracy well, is tom. i'm trying to find out who's in it mm-hmm. and what agencies of government
3: in it because i want to fight it along with you you look and like great. You, Tom. let me tell you tom <laughs> you, you, you tell it, me uh, you know, how can i join the john birch society gosh tom you got no problem at all you need to do is write a letter to the John Birch Society, Belmont, Massachusetts, 02178, and yeah. tell them that you would like to purchase, for $2, a copy of the blue book. Tom, you read it, and I think if you're a dedicated American, you will agree with every word, then you get in touch with me, and we may even sign you up.
4: Yeah, but it says here in one of your, pub- uh, one of your publications, not just anyone can be a Bircher.
3: Now, how I, can I not be not just a anyone. Now, if you don't believe in the Constitution and limited government and free enterprise and biblical values of morality... Preach it, I brother. Preach it. I, I
4: don't
0: well, believe there's a conspiracy. He'd make a lousy well, you know, can, as, as a Japan matter of fact... a member of the conspiracy. He's a member of the press. <laughs> let me ask you. He's used... Now, Mr. Braden's used for the 47th time the term conspiracy. Now, let me ask you seriously. When you use people like Casey, who is on the Council on Foreign Relations, David Rockefeller's trilateral Committee commission, what do you mean... Or do you mean? Is that your term, the term conspiracy?
3: Well, there are many different levels of the problem. But yes, the term has been used, the term of conspiracy. When you have a group of people...
0: I mean, they're actively to- actively collaborating, and at the other end of that point of collaboration are communists, and on this end of the point of collaboration is Bill Casey and trilateralists and, and CFL. Uh, hey,
3: you have people who are part of the elitist structure of this country that have dominated this country openly for 40 years. I know, but they're not... Is that a conspiracy? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If people quietly working together for evil objectives, two or more, that by definition is a conspiracy. You have, by their own admission, you look at the Tragedy and Hope by Professor Carol Quigley. He's a member of this elitist group. He says, sure, we've been working this. Sure, we've been collaborating with communism. Yes, we're working for a global accommodation. Yes, we're working for world government. The only thing I object to is that we have kept it a secret. And I think we have go so far along we should come out and say.
0: i bet oh, you a dollar and a half, half that
4: Bill Casey doesn't know who Professor Quigley is. I don't.
3: He's at well, Georgetown
0: a number of years uh, ago. He, he, he died a program. couple of years ago, and he
3: wrote The Tragedy And Hope. He's a very noted member of your club, Tom. Tom, you've uh, got a to broaden your
0: reading a yes, little yes, bit. That's uh, right. Really
3: well what read.
4: I ought to do is read more about conspiracies, and that's why I'm interested in what you're Well, you I'll tell you what, what you ought to
3: do is go back and look at your founder, Edward Mandel House, because he wrote the book Philip Drew Administrator in English. Colonel House said that what he envisioned for the world was a world government along socialist lines, as envisioned by Karl Marx. Now that's mm-hmm. that's your leader, uh-huh. Ed, Tom. So you got to go back to the beginning. Well, his leader was Woodrow was. Wilson. Do you think he was a communist? No, minister? I think Woodrow Wilson was his follower. Uh, I think Edward Mandel House dominated Wilson, not the other way around.
4: hmm And uh, so Edward Mandel House—that uh, was—we uh, ought to make that clear. He was Colonel President House. Wilson's uh, alter
3: alter ego. That's correct. Yeah.
4: Uh, so he is, the, he is the real villain from which all no, no, no. these conspiracies... Uh,
3: no, 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 no. He is a defend. major figure, Tom, but there is has been, unfortunately, in the West, uh, an element. Uh, there are good members in the Council on Foreign Relations, dedicated patriotic people. You've had Spool Brayden, who was a member of the Council of the Birch Society, Bill Buckley's and Council on Foreign Relations. You've got some dedicated people, but the driving forces have very clearly been willing to collaborate, subsidize, work for technology transfer for what they feel is some type of an accommodation and merger. And I I submit this would be a disaster for the American republic. Are there any in Congress?
0: Sure. Our guest is Ben. Congressman Larry McDonald of the John Birch Society—he's the new chairman. He succeeded uh, Robert Welsh, who has stepped down, as I understand it. Is that correct?
3: So he's been sort of promoted to chairman. He's been Emer-
0: promoted, to chairman emeritus, and founder. And Tom Brady and I'll be back with final comments in a moment.
2: All right, I'm going to stop it there, and uh, you guys get a flavor. If you've never heard of Larry McDonald, this is the guy. This was probably the most public figure on this flight, uh, 007 here that was alleged to have been shot down by the Russians. Now you hear very clearly what he is calling out. He is calling out the infiltration of communism into America. This is, this is 40 years ago. The infiltration of communism into America to bring about world government, and you heard in the one part, regional government. This is USMCA, folks. If you aren't paying attention, the USMCA is not about getting you jobs. It's less than 200,000 jobs that are in there. It is about establishing a foothold in the West for world government. <clears throat> Congressman Larry McDonald was telling people he was warning them about it then. Now, with that said, my guest this morning is Burt Schlossberg. He's basically a stone's throw away from me uh, in Fort Mill, I, I believe, if I got it correct. And uh, he had two family members aboard that same flight. And he has started a website called rescue007.org. He's also got a Facebook group that we'll be showing you in just a little bit. And he has uncovered all kinds of information that he believes the mainstream media has lied to us, no surprise there, and told us that it was shot down when he has information that indicates the plane landed safely, uh, the the people survived. And I'm going to let him tell his story this morning on a welcome to the Sons of Liberty, uh, Bert Schlossberg. Welcome, Bert.
5: Uh, thank you, Tim. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, if you can, um, if you will, do me a favor, just tilt your camera down just a tad. I got your name right there in your beard. <laughs> if you can tilt your camera down just a hair, <clears throat> and uh, it tell it us, yeah, tilt okay. it down just, a, yeah, that's good, that's good right there. All right, okay. tell us, tell us Fine. a little bit about yourself and what you did. Uh, following this report that this plane was taken down. Who were the members of your family that were on board?
5: Okay, on board the flight was uh, my father-in-law, Alfredo Cruz, and uh, a cousin of my wife, uh, Xie. Those two members were aboard the flight. And of course, uh, when the plane was shot down, uh, that's the reason I got into it, Uh, my wife's uh, father, was on that plane, and so it was totally personal and not interested in the politics of it. And I just wanted to know the truth, of what had happened, and so on. This was it. We all we all believed in our family that they were dead. There was no no doubt about that. Well, in 1988, uh, we immigrated to, to Israel. And right now, uh, I and my family are Israeli uh, citizens, as well as United States citizens. We have uh, homes in both places. And, we have contacts in both places. Uh, when we got to Israel, uh, we decided to uh, to live in Jerusalem. This was after looking at uh, different places. We settled in a, in a neighborhood of Jerusalem. We were out into the West Bank. I did not know that across from the valley that I can take a look was another neighborhood, and that was the neighborhood of Ramot. And in the Ramot sat a man and an institution, and a research institution. The research institution was the Israeli research center for prisons, psych prisons, and forced labor concentration camps. The man who directed that was Avraham Schifrin. Not only did I know, not know that, but uh, I did not know that Abraham Schiffrin was a personal friend of Larry McDonald's. And he was also, uh, uh, a uh, red army major and chief investigator for the Krasnodar region which is just uh north east of the Crimea and and he had a virulent hatred for communism this was due to his father being persecuted as a Jew and also his contact he understood what communism was and had this hatred it, and he was uh, became a an, an, an spy for both Israel and the United States. And he acknowledges that, that he spied for both of these countries. The Soviet authorities got a hold of him, and they sentenced him to 10 years in the harshest of prisons and seven more years in exile in Kazakhstan. Well, he got out of that situation and settled on that hill opposite to where I had just moved, And he uh, investigated the reports of uh, Larry McDonald, his friend, that he had known in the days that he testified in Congress about the prisons all throughout, wrote a book called The Guidebook to the the Concentration Camps of the USSR. And uh, he held a a press conference because he was finding out information uh, concerning that plane and that he was finding it out uh, from, uh, from Jewish immigrants to Israel uh, that he debriefed for the Jewish agency. He was debriefing the people that were involved in the plane crash, in the plane shootdown, down and uh, the crash, as far as the world knew about it and what Israel knew about it. And he found out from uh, this kind of investigation that the plane did land safely. It didn't land in Sakhalin as the first report had come out, but it landed on the waters of Monirun Island. That is a small island, which is uh, uh, opposite a very large island called Sakhalin Island. So that plane, uh, KL-007 had traversed Kamchatka. It had started well from its uh, position in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, at Stevens International Airport. But in 10 minutes into that flight, it deviated to the right, that is the north. And the deviation increased, of course, until it was over 350 miles deviated uh, when it was finally shot down. But it deviated over Kamchatka. And from Kamchatka, it went over the Sea of Okhotsk. And from Sosibokhuts, it went over Sakhan Island and was uh, shot down. So, so Abraham Shifrin and that research center was investigating this, and I had moved. Of all places, I could have been moved to. It was to Jerusalem, and of all places, it was the valley. Uh, uh, it was a hill separated from the, a valley uh, in which the only uh, center. Uh, that specialized in studying about Larry McDonald and the shoot down was finding out information that they, that, they that they were alive. Okay. Uh, Tim, you uh, guide me where you want me to speak. Uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of, this is sort of where
2: I want to go. I want to find out, okay, anyway. what, what is the information you've given? <clears throat> now you've provided me uh, with several emails here. Um, one of the things that uh, had happened was let's see, let me bring this up just so people can see this. This is a letter from Jesse Helms. Um, and it's to Boris Yeltsin. Let me let me give this real quickly here and have you comment on it. Because now were you behind pressuring Jesse Helms to, to write this letter or did he do this on his own?
5: No, oh, he did this on his own after having the CIA re-examined uh, the reports that were coming from Israel that the plane had landed safely.
2: Okay, all right. So this is um, <clears throat> this is dated December the tenth, nineteen ninety one. This is to Boris Yeltsin from Jesse Helms, and he writes: One of the greatest tragedies of the Cold War was the shootdown of the Korean Airlines flight KAL 007 by the armed forces of what then <clears throat> of what was then the Soviet Union on September the first, nineteen eighty three. This event had elements of a personal catast- a catastrophe for me since I was on the parallel flight that night of KAL015 which departed Anchorage Alaska about 15 minutes after KAL007. North uh, excuse me both flights stopped in Anchorage for refueling. I shall never forget mingling with the doomed passengers of KAL 007 in the transit lounge, including two sweet young girls who waved goodbye to me when they were called to return to their fatal flight. The KAL 007 tragedy was one of the most tense incidents of the entire Cold War. However, now that relations between our two nations have improved substantially, I believe that it is time to resolve the the mysteries surrounding this event Clearing the air of this issue could help further to improve relations. Accordingly, I respectfully request that the government of the Russian Republic gain access to the files of the former KGB and of the Ministry of Defense in order to resolve the attached questions. I hope that you will personally interview with the relevant authorities of the former Soviet Union in order to provide answers to these questions. The American people, indeed the families of all passengers on KL 007, will be deep- Deeply grateful for your efforts, sincerely, Jesse Helms. Now, Bert, here's the question that I have: This is this is a shoot down of a commercial airliner. This is not a military um, aircraft at all, and yet, yet, did was there any kind of serious response by our government? Again over this, I mean, in fact, what we had was we had President Reagan just going along with the narrative and and people may think i'm I'm tagging on Reagan. <clears throat> McDonald was saying things about Reagan. Reagan left us three times in debt more than when he got in office. Uh, Ronald Reagan is the reason we have the education system we have that was tied to the Soviets too so uh, this is the problem that I have here, Bert is we have a plain load of people. Um, America, Americans are on board, including a sitting congressman, and yet it, there's no there's no serious dealing with the fact that it is alleged to have been shot down. When your evidence uh, that you provide on your website, rescue007.org, says something completely
5: different. Okay, uh, Tim, I can't can't tell you how much I've uh, I've agonized over that same question: Why? Why did our government not do more? And uh, I felt that uh, I know that there was resistance uh, to, to the research. There was resistance to my church. I, I might as well I might tell you that most of the clear evidence that the passengers were alive and probably are still alive, especially the uh, twenty-two children which were under the age of twelve that were aboard that plane. Uh, despite that evidence, that the evidence came up, uh, there was no response from the United States government, but I have to say that most of that uh, damning evidence that should have provoked uh, reaction came uh, in the last two years, and that is by the items that were being recovered that belonged uh, to those passengers. United States had enough to work on, uh, to push it. And the information that was coming from Israel, from the debriefing of the Soviet, the Jewish -Jewish, ex-Jewish, ex-Soviet military men that were becoming citizens in Israel. uh, This evidence uh, was startling that the plane had landed safely on the waters and it should have provoked the United States to do more, which we feel it didn't. Uh, That's true. Okay, uh, so I, I, I will tell you what the evidence, new evidence uh, shortly. But that letter that you read now, uh, that you asked wh- why did he write that letter? Where, what provoked him or what moved him to write the letter? Well, his chief of staff at that time was Rear Admiral uh, Bud Nance. And he wrote a letter to the research center. And I saw that letter that he had written and he said in a letter that the information that was coming from Israel, from the debriefing and the other information that was coming, because it was a network of informers that Schifrin directed, you would call him nowadays a handler, uh, that would go back to the Soviet Union and be a uh, position themselves uh, in the towns that had grown up uh, of uh, ex-Gulag residents, like he was a Gulag resident. Okay, the... Uh, the, the information uh, was not acted upon enough. I don't have the full reason why that was so, uh, but the most damaging evidence had come in the last couple of years.
2: Okay. All right. Do you want to walk people through some of that evidence? Um, one of the emails that you sent me, <clears throat> excuse me, was regarding the shoes that the passengers wore for the flight.
5: Say that again, I could not hear that
2: one of Please. the one of the um, emails that you sent me <clears throat> was regarding the shoes that the uh, the passengers wore on the flight you said on monday september 26, yes. nineteen eighty three a delegation of seven Japanese and American officials arrived aboard the Japanese patrol boat uh, sigaru i I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly met a six man Soviet delegation at the port of Novelsk on Novelsk. okay Saklin Island uh KGB major general AI Romanenko uh, I guess I'm pronouncing this correctly the commander of the uh, Saaklin and Kuril Islands Frontier Guard headed the Soviet delegation Romanenko um handed over to the Americans and Japanese, among other things, single and paired footwear. With footwear with, that the Japanese also retrieved, the total came to 213 men's, women's, and children's dress shoes, sandals, and sports shoes. The Soviets said that all they had retrieved they had found floating in the water or washed up on the shores of Sakhalin and Monoran Islands. Uh, is that part of the evidence that's come out here recently, or is this some—this this is this is older stuff?
5: Oh, this is older stuff.
2: Okay.
5: Uh, of course, those 213 pair, uh, shoes, uh, pairs or not, they accounted for 74% of the passengers. Uh, so 198 people, when you, when you uh, uh, compare the shoes with, with the number of the people, that's 74%. So there was time enough uh, for, the, for, for the plane. The plane at that point, uh, the reason why there was time enough is the plane had started a descent, a slow spiral descent over the island of Moniron, looking for uh, a place uh, to land that would be safe enough near land and yet it had to be in the water. And and so there was, uh, those shoes were taken off most probably in preparation for a water ditching. And we know that there was a water ditching and we know that the, the, uh, that they, uh, the crew of the plane, uh, 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 announced uh, and it was picked up by a French satellite and it was played in ABC studios in Los Angeles. And it was Mayday, 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 the three times that you say that when you go into the emergency. We are descending from 10,000 feet. And uh, 10,000 feet and we we will ditch in the sea. There's the frame of the words, ditch in the sea. So they were descending from ten thousand feet, uh, circling Monument Island, and I took a chart and I looked at the chronology of the transcripts because we have the Soviet transcripts of what they were saying to each other during the shootdown, before the shootdown, during the shootdown, and after the shootdown. And so we, so I traced it. Where, where do they pit? Where did the Soviets point to as the position, as as the location? Of KL07 when it was going out, what the pilot said was there we are descending from 10,000 feet. So, where they were was over Moneroon Island in a slow descent three times around this small island. The Moneroon Island is three and a half miles by four and a half miles. It's right next to Big Sakhalin Island, but it's just a small island separated by the water. And in the slow descent, they had time. To take off their shoes, the normal procedure when contemplating sliding down the chute in a water ditching situation. So that's so that's what the these shoes were returned. They were dry cleaned. There was no need to dry clean, but the Soviets uh, dry cleaned them. And with the shoes, there were other clothing objects and uh, and cards of the passengers. Some of the cards were retrieved and examined. Uh, but there were cards, too, and strangely enough, there were no watermarks on these cards. That is, the person that saw them was Tommy Tolles. Tommy Tolles was the press secretary for Larry McDonald. He had gone to Chitos uh, Air Base in Japan, where all this was eventually brought, and he found cards which had not passed through water, and there were uh, no stain whatsoever with the shoes. So the importance of that shoes. is... How come the Soviets were able to get 213 shoes uh, and there, and not bring back, not claim any body? Why were there no bodies, uh, uh, which are, should have been on the water, floating on the water in a major in a, in a major supposed uh, crash, and there was no luggage? And uh, many people said, why, how could the shoes have appeared when there was no bodies? And how come even there was no luggage when the divers, Soviet divers, 15, 14 days after the shootdown, Soviet divers who were civilians went down and were amazed that there were no bodies down where they're supposed to be bodies. And there were no shoes and there was no other evidence of luggage. There was no luggage whatsoever. So that's why these, these, uh, These shoes are important. There should have, if there, if, if, as supposedly, as some people had said, that the crustaceans in the sea had eaten the flesh, crustaceans do not eat bones. There should have been bones of pastures. There was no bones. There was no, uh, there was no uh, bodies. And yet there were shoes. At least there should have been bones in the shoes. There should have been feet in the shoes. Why can you, how can you collect all this and not have the bodies?
2: Well, the obvious question that I have here <clears throat> is they would have been doing this immediately upon impact. They would, have, they would have gotten people gathered together to do this. So this wouldn't be a thing that would have lasted a long time uh, with them going and, and dealing with this. Furthermore, there's some information too um, that, you, that you've provided that the, the, I guess the pilot who took the shot Uh, said he knew it was a commercial airliner before he even shot at it.
5: Is that correct? That's right. He said that. Uh, First of all, uh, this is is, a Gennady Osipovich, the pilot of the Su-15 that launched the two uh, missiles uh, toward uh, KLO 7 At first, he said it was uh, uh, an RC-135 military plane. There was a reconnaissance plane of the U.S. Then, then he changed his story and told the truth. And he said that in an interview in, in a New York Times uh, newspaper in uh, 19, uh, uh, 1996. And then he said he saw the double rows of lights of the two decks. Of course, this was the, the only plane that that could do that was a civilian plane it was the 747 the Boeing 747 that was at that time the only uh plane was a civilian plane he says I knew it was a civilian plane I knew it by the rows of lights and uh, and that's important too that the lights were on and and so that should have uh, taken any idea that it was a military plane trans uh, traversing enemy territory and uh, says, but it did not matter to me. And the reason why is he said that uh, a, a military plane uh, could, uh, for military purposes, a civilian plane could also be used. And he had orders to shoot it down. So he did not tell his superiors that he saw the double lights, but he just knew at the time that it was a civilian and finally admitted it in 1996.
2: Okay. All right. All right. What else do you have? You've got the shoes issue, which you're indicating from what I gather that this plane uh, had landed on the water. They had uh, done the the emergency thing. They give you all the stuff when you get on board a plane. Here's where the escape places are on the side of the plane, and the people got off the plane, and uh, then they apparently cook up the story to say, yeah, it's shot down, and um, nobody's alive and they're passing that information over to the US our president at that time Ronald Reagan goes along with it the news media goes along with it and what other evidence is there other evidence that, that indicate that there's uh, that we weren't being told the entire truth about that
5: okay uh yeah okay i, I, I would uh, first of all i get to the old evidence that there was recordings of the soviet ground stations and this was made in the in the same year that It was made public the same year that it was made. The Soviet ground stations in the area had recorded the Soviet pilots and the, and the Soviet ground stations, the operators were talking among themselves. And this was uh, electronically captured by U.S. intelligence and the NSA uh, under the NSA. And what they were saying is that the the ground stations were, were reporting what the the pilots from the air were telling them. And what they were saying is, now we are going to hear from the United States, we're together from the United States, that we've killed Americans. Okay, and so uh, uh, Jesse Helms made a report and had the CIA get on this information. Uh, and, uh, and, they can, and we have the report. It's a 1991 report uh, from the Republican minority staff of the Foreign Relations Committee. Jesse Helms was chairman of the minority staff at that time, and uh, and what it was, they examined this report of of Soviet pilots viewing a plane on the water. Now they could have told they they could have known it was a civilian plane because it had the hump of the seven forty seven hump. They could even know that it was a Korean plane. Uh, because of the tail, the logo on the tail of the of the bird running. like That was what the former, they uh, the Korean Airlines changed it after this incident as to what it is now, the yin-yang. But they could not have known that Americans had been killed aboard that plane, because they were saying that now we're going to be accused by America of killing them so the report continues that Jesse Helms fathered uh, this report. The only way they could have known that is if uh, that, that uh, the fact that Americans had been killed is if at the, at that time that they had heard uh, from the chatter of the rescue boats or from the plane itself, some that Americans were aboard and Americans had been killed. In other words, the fact was known that Americans had been killed, and that proved that the, uh, the, the, the plane was on the water and that it had not sunk and all people, people had perished, and it was viewed by the Soviet pilots. So this information was played in, this, in the United Nations uh, uh, years after. But at the time, this an important information to encourage people to say, yes, a plane can land, on the, on the water. We also have the weather report of the time that the, the water was calm. We have a visual sighting by a Marine that was on a ferry that the waters were, in his words, as smooth as glass. So there's no question that the plane could stay on the water uh, for a period of time, enough for the passengers to be taken out. So that's all that we had at that time. And then there was a few other reports of uh, the of fishermen that had seen the plane on the water, and so we had that. as important. We had the information that the damage to the plane itself was minor. Now, if I can just uh, speak about that, it was it was, it was enough to to make it have to go into a, a ditching on the water, as the pilots had said had announced. But it was a minor plane, and the reason that is, is the one missile that was fired by. Uh, the pilot, the interceptor pilot, Gennady Osipovich, was a, a heat-seeking missile. And with that missed completely, and the reason is the heat-seeking missile would have honed in on the engines. And yet there were two reports from, uh, from that we had gotten on the tapes when finally the Soviets did, did give the tapes. Two times were reported, all engines, engines, normal, sir. Engine's normal, sir. He's reporting it to Captain Chung. So that one missile missed completely. The missile that didn't miss was not even designed to hit uh, the plane. It was designed to explode 50 meters behind the plane and it did explode. and, they, and the plane uh, 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 the plane took the shrapnel and the shrapnel packed the planes with holes. And ECOW, uh, the International Civil Aviation Organization of the United Nations, that examined the boxes and the, and the two records of the boxes, said the sum total of all those holes, if you put it all together, is, is one foot and 1.75, one and three quarters feet, uh, uh, and it's not all together, it's in holes. And they found that, and they knew that because of the time it took for the air to depressurize, to get out of those holes, get out of the cabin, uh, before the alarm uh, uh, rang, the alarm of decompression, uh, started ringing, it rang 11 seconds. That meant that 11 seconds, the length of that time before the alarm rang, meant that it was only that small amount of holes. So the plane uh, kl seven immediately uh, rose, and the reason rose is that one of the uh, elevator cables unraveled, and it was on autopilot, and so it, so it, it rose into the air for one uh, minute and thirteen seconds, an arc. It made an arc. At nearly the top of the arc, the pilot took it out of autopilot, and you could hear the click of it going into manual control. He got control of the plane, brought it down and he brought it down uh to uh a a gradual a gradual uh 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 going down a gradual descent and gradual descent until he got to five thousand meters now the reason we know that is because soviet uh radar was following it it was following it all the time they Soviets knew all the time where the plane was going and where it descended into the water. And, they, and the Soviets uh, 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 found the plane and tracked the plane at 5,000 meters. 5,000 meters is 16,404 feet. 16,404 feet of altitude. It kept that for many minutes. Uh, now the plane was tracked for over 12 minutes uh, but didn't mean it exploded or anything. It went down in twelve minutes. It it, it 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 could not be tracked further by the Soviets because the Soviets were tracking it uh, from the Siberian mainland, the the uh, the maritime right on the coast, and the curvature of the Earth could not go below that uh, uh, that level of tracking because of the curvature of the Earth, and so. The plane then was able to go from the time that it was uh, it took a hit uh, and, and made those holes and it went down to 5,000 meters, 16,404 feet for many minutes, nine minutes in that one leg of the trip at an altitude of 5,000 meters until it got around Monirone Island and then it started its descent, spiral descent. And uh, I spoke personally to one of the uh, Soviet uh, radar radar operators who told them, uh, and he was told this by his superior officer, uh, Rishkov, and uh, that the plane leveled out at 1,000 meters, at 1,000 feet rather, 1,000 feet, and then went on. Now, it went off the scope because it could not be followed by Soviet tracker. But that doesn't that means that the 12 minutes that it was a flight is not like the end of the flight. it just could not be tracked further. And so every every prospect is that the plane would make a, a, uh, a as the pilot said a good ditching in the water that was uh, before him. But we never had proof of survival. We, we, had, we had evidence. This is what I would call evidence. Evidence is that the plane was in good condition, good enough condition to fly that, that period, that length of time, and that distance. It was able to fly that distance after being uh, rocketed. Uh, we had proof of survival. Hey,
2: Bert, hang on, hang on with us just a second. Let's close out with Red State Talk Radio. You guys, we appreciate your support so much. If you want to catch us for the rest of this, we're going to be on for a few minutes. Go to our YouTube, Sons of Liberty, and Facebook, and we'll catch you on the other side. Otherwise, twenty-three hours. We'll see you with Alex Newman. Okay. All right. We're back here, and uh, let me hang up here on Red State so that uh, we can close them out. So we don't, we're not talking <laughs> over the next radio show. And Bert, I'm sorry. I, I didn't even notice the music coming up. I was talking with uh, some people in the chat here. Okay. Let me let me ask you. Do you want to finish your thought, and then I want to ask you a question.
5: Uh, no, no. You can speak. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I- Pleasure.
2: All right. Um, we've had some people talk about the transponders and, and obviously they had those because you're talking about tracking them. What What about black boxes and stuff? Have, do we have anything uh, of that kind of evidence that's come from this uh, this flight 007?
5: Oh, OK, uh, I, uh, Tim, I'm very sorry. I'm that's a little okay. hard. Can you just repeat your question?
2: Yeah. Do we have any evidence like black boxes, you know, the record the flight yes. recorders? Do we have those?
5: Yes. Yeah. Okay. OK. Yes, we do have it. In, uh, uh, all, all, from the start, the Soviets said, we don't even know the plane was shot down. Then they said it was shot down, but it was, a, uh, but it was this fly plane. And then they finally admitted it on September 9th, of, uh, just a few, uh, nine days after the shoot down. Uh Yes, it was a passenger plane, but we shot it down, and, but it was being used as, as the military. But we don't know where it is. Well, that was false. They knew exactly where it was. Uh, and wh- they had, when the plane was shot down, they had the military divers go first, not the civilian divers. They had the military di- the divers go first, and, uh, and they removed the black boxes. Now, the black boxes are not black. They're really orange, but there are two boxes. One is uh, the, the cockpit voice recorder, and we have them taped now. And the other one was the flight data recorder that shows all the movements of the plane in all directions and how the system's working. We have that now. So we have the contents, the, ta- the tapes of that. Finally, in 1992, the tapes were returned. Excuse, excuse me. Uh, in 1982, the tapes were returned uh and uh, to the to the uh, given to the uh a civil aviation organization and those show just what i said before in a different way that the plane did not explode and it did not crash but it lasted a long time at least 12 minutes before it went out out of uh, tracking Okay. all right. Um, Okay.
2: so we've we've got several of these things and you've also got some transmissions. I was showing people you saw that uh, as you were speaking, some of the transmissions back and forth between the Russians over what was going on there. So we have that. What is there? Is there any evidence that you can think of now that there that some of these past you mentioned some of the, the smaller children, especially um might still be alive. Is there anything that within the past couple of years that might indicate that to you?
5: Uh, yes, uh, Again, this is older information, but it's new to everybody, I'm sure that are, that are listening, almost everybody. Uh, Larry McDonald was located. Larry McDonald, uh, first of all, the passengers uh, were were brought uh, within nine minutes, of KL-07 reaching that 1,000 level attitude. Nine minutes later was the first uh, Soviet rescue mission and and abducting mission and later uh, leading to it, the imprisonment of our people. And that uh, uh, was uh, ordered. We have the transcripts of the ordering of that first rescue mission and uh, tells you what airports in uh, on Sakhalin the re- the rescue helicopters were to go, and, and the uh, the controller says rescue, and then the answer is yes rescue, and and they're or the rescue helicopters are ordered, and then uh, then shortly after to, uh, that was nine minutes after KLO seven reached one thousand feet, and then seventeen seconds after KLO seven reaches one thousand feet. Uh, The second rescue mission and abduction is ordered, and this time it's ordered by the deputy uh, commander. Uh, So it's gone gone up the ladder of the hierarchy, and this time the trawlers that are around, the civilian trawlers that are surround Monorano Island are called to the rescue. So it's a very, very short time before the Soviets got to the plane itself and got to our passengers. Okay, now the, the passengers themselves were viewed on the wings of the plane. Now, this is very similar to the, what they call the miracle on the Hudson, where the plane went down on the Hudson River, Captain Sully. Then you see the passengers coming out of the plane and stepping on the wings. This is how passengers were viewed. Somehow they had gotten onto the wings. They saw them on the wings. The fishermen saw them on the wings. Uh, but they don't know how they got there, but they were standing on the wings. And uh in a very, very short time, uh part of the rescue operations of the first of the first uh uh sending, uh, that was nine minutes after after the plane got to one thousand feet, uh the uh the the coastal patrol boats under Major General Roman Yankov, he was ahead of the the coast guard, what you call the coast guard, around Sakhalin and the Kuril Islands. He came along with his ships, and so there was, uh, and uh, and then the trawlers came along. This is from the call of the second uh, rescue. The trawlers came alongside, so there were ships, patrol boats, and traw uh, and the trawlers, all sorts of uh, of of equipment. Took our people, and they took them to Novelsk. Novelsk is the Coast Guard station and a big town on Sakhalin itself. It's forty-one nautical miles from the distance where the plane was in Onirom. Took all our people, and among them was Larry McDonald. Larry McDonald and the and the flight crew. And that is the pilot and the co-pilot, and of course, it was an engineer. But only the pilot and co-pilot are mentioned. They and Larry McDonald were brought to Sovietsky Gavan, so the the Soviet harbor on the other side of the Tartar Straits. So they were brought there, and probably second or third day, the informers uh, tell us, and from there. And to to there, rather, the other people were brought, that is the children and the adults of all nationalities that were alive. We don't know how many, if any, were killed by the shrapnel that pierced through uh, the cabin. But among these people uh, that were brought out of the plane by Roman Yankov, Major General Roman Yankov and his patrol boats and the ships that were with him, they were brought the 41 miles to Novelsk, uh, the port of uh, Sakhalin, then brought over to Soviet Gaven, which is on the other side of the daughter, daughter streets. Then, at that point, Larry McDonald was separated from the uh, pilots. The pilots might have been brought to another island that we know of that specialized in retaining pilots. But Larry McDonald was brought to Moscow in in. Special uh, transports, planes that are uh, KGB planes that are dedicated to the taking of political prisoners or other prisons from place. Now, let me, place. Ask you, let me ask you a question. How do you know that
2: he was taken there? How, what, what's the information that you have that you know that?
5: Okay. Now, uh, I, I have to go back and say that okay. uh, uh, that research institution, uh, the Research Center for Prisons, Psych Prisons, and forced labor consecration camp that were run by uh, uh, Schifrin uh, also had a network in the Soviet Union. And I met some of them. I I know of some of them who they are. And there was not, and they're not just men, and there were women. And all these people that are part of the informant are people that went back to the Soviet Union. And then when the Soviet Union changed, went to uh, the Russian Federation places and visited the gulags. They had information uh, where uh, the gulags were. And also there were contacts with the KGB and former KGP. These people risked their lives in order to bring this information back. So this is part of the network that brought the information back on what they call the itinerary of Larry McDonald after the plane was shot down. Uh, some of these people are no longer in Israel. Some of them are in other countries, and the, the network, uh, the espionage network, uh, is now uh, no longer functioning. Uh, Abraham Shifrin is deceased, too, and that's part of the reason why I continue on this work. Okay, so Larry McDonald was separated from the pilots, and then brought to Lubyanka Central Prison in Moscow, that is the KGB prison in Moscow. And it was interrogated there, it was kept there for a while, and then moved to Laforto Military Prison. Laforto Military Prison is also in Moscow. He was kept in a cell that's just a tiny cubicle, and near freezing water was pumped into the cell and there was a seat that you could hardly sit on because the cell was was so small and people were sunk in the mud with the cold water which wasn't freezing because it was kept lower than that and that was sort of their torture there's to help them to talk to encourage them to speak to tell the truth to get out of this misery then he was brought from the Leforto, Fortovol military prison, which is in Moscow, to a dacha. A dacha is a Russian summer house, and this dacha was located outside of Moscow, but near it. And in this dacha, he was interrogated again. One of his interrogators was the, the chief of the first directorate, uh, of Vladimir Khrushkov, Krushko, Vladimir Khrushkov. He was one of the interrogators. He was brought to the Dacha then after this interrogation. And he was interrogated again, and this time with drugs. And the reports that come back from these informers that had been sent from Israel and work with this research center was that uh, he lost his... Identity that is before because of the use of the drugs. Uh, part of the process is to is to get a person out of his identities. Now this has been written about, uh, and uh, and Abraham Shifrin himself, who was involved in uh, as a major in investigator, uh, speaks about this. They were called charm schools. These charm schools are captured people that the Soviet Union placed in a new environment that allows them to be obedient to their handler, but not lose their identity as to who they are because they're to be sent back to foreign countries like America or South Korea and so on like that. So Larry McDonald uh, lost his... his, uh, uh, you can say his will, so the reports are, from this drug use, but still had an identity as an American. And uh, this possibly had to do with using him subsequently as an obedient slave. Then after the statra he was sent to Kazakhstan, uh, kazakhstan of course at that time was part of the soviet union it was not an independent country and it was brought to karaganda now they uh, the people that i work with uh, uh tried to find out the reason for this transit karaganda in in kazakhstan was a transit prison that is you go from one place to another place and you go to karaganda as says, the hub But it's all prisoners that will take this route. Of course, it's a city independent of that, of the thing. And then uh, because Karaganda got into the news as a center of nuclear research, and this was, there was a talk in our Congress about about, uh, Karaganda and the place it, it holds in nuclear Soviet, Soviet nuclear knowledge. Because of that, Larry was taken out of that place and moved to another prison also in Karaganda. And this is in the town of Temir Tau. So this is the Temir prison. Now, Tim, I also sent you a picture of, of that, uh, an age, uh, computer age picture. And on that picture, you can clearly see what what, uh, Abraham, what uh, uh, Larry McDonald would have looked like by the time that he got to Temir Tau. When he got to Temurtau, it was 1995. The plane was shot down in 1983. This, now it's 1995. Spending all this time in various places, uh, and in 19, uh, and that's the last contact that we've had with uh, not not me, but the people have had the informers and the research center operators. Uh, of the last contact is in 1995. In the computer age picture, you see Larry, what he would have looked like in 1995. And it's very, very clear. You see the scar, the deep scar on his left nostril down to his lip. That's Larry McDonald's scar. So he was identified by two wardens of the prison of Tamir Tau as being there, in their words, Probable prisoners. This is this is the one that we saw uh, with the scarf that, and that photo was brought to them by the uh, these emissaries from Israel uh, that were working for the institute. So that we know the most about of all the passengers. Uh, uh, among the girls uh, were uh, among the children were Noel and Stacy Grenfell. Noelle and Stacy Grenfell. Now, these are the two girls that Jesse Helms, who was following KL-07 in another plane, KAL-015, Jesse Helms was waiting for, Je- for Larry's plane to come in, <coughs> and he was at, at the airport terminal waiting because he wanted Larry to get off KL-07 and join him. <coughs> With him was other uh, congressmen and uh, senators, Senator Steve Sims from Idaho, Carol Hubbard, Congressman Carol Hubbard from uh, Kentucky. And these and Jesse Helms with Larry McDonald were on their way. The reason they were on these planes, they were on their way to Seoul, Korea, ostensibly to celebrate uh, at Korea the 30-year mutual defense agreement between the United States and South Korea. That's the reason, ostensibly, they were on those planes to get there.
2: Okay. All right. Okay. Now, I don't have the image. For whatever reason, that didn't come through. Let me, uh, because I want to get ready to close out the show. And I appreciate your time here. I want to read, uh, this is a letter that you provided from uh, Larry McDonald's daughter, Mary Elizabeth. I want to read that right quick and get your comment on that if I can. Yes. The letter is, thus it was that the Soviet Union shot down in international waters a passenger jet with 269 people aboard on September the 1st, 1983. Deceived the world into thinking that they had not done so at first, and then when it was indisputable, acknowledged the fact September the 9th, 1983, but maintained that they did not know it was a passenger civilian plane until years later, September the 9th, nineteen. Now, if they're lying about it <laughs> nine days after or eight days after the the thing, yeah. I mean, of course, they're lying about all the other. Uh, the Sukhoi right. uh, 15 Interceptor pilot, Major Osipovic, I believe is that maybe how you pronounce it, uh, Osipovich, Osipovich okay, would acknowledge that he knew it before he launched the missiles. He knew that it was a, a commercial airliner. Um, and by the way, they were following them for like two and a half hours, too, pushing them, right. pushing them into Russian airspace. Um, and thus it was that the Soviets absconded with the surviving passengers and crew with not even a whimper of protests from the west of the world. This is what drives me crazy. You have Ronald Reagan. Who spent all of his time in Hollywood, uh, you know, against communism? He lost his marriage over over that fight, and then he comes in to the presidency, and he's not willing to put up a fight here. He spends us in debt, claiming it's to fight the Russians, you know, in the Cold War, and this, that, and the other. Um, And then he he sells us out in the the education process, and he doesn't even put up a fight over this, where there's a sitting congressman, there's other Americans who are on this plane, and then Mary Elizabeth continues, but what if Congressman Larry McDonald or the 22 children under 12 years of age or any others of the occupants of KAL 007 were still alive? When do we stop remembering or stop caring? Um, Mary Elizabeth is obviously the daughter of uh, Larry McDonald here. She says, he is my father. I want the truth. After so many years, not a day goes by that. I do not think about him and how much I miss him. You know, my heart goes out to her because, uh, you know, Bert, it's, it's something when somebody dies in your family, if you're expecting it, it's still a shock. If it comes suddenly, it's a shock, but you, you have a body there. You can see in this case, these people don't have anything. They don't know if the people are dead. They don't know if they're still alive. I mean, I can't imagine what that does to your mind, to your thinking, and your day-to-day life, wondering, is my dad still alive? Is my daughter alive? Is my mother or my aunt or my, are they still alive? If they are, what is their fate? What are they facing there?
5: You know, I, I, uh, I agree with you totally. Uh, the hardest thing for my wife and myself uh, was just to accept the fact that they're alive and suffering, and Ty and Edith are suffering in a prison, that was harder to take than the fact that they are dead. And we had accepted their dead and it was much harder to accept their life. But that sentiment of of the daughter of Larry McDonald uh, is a very true sentiment among the people we don't forget. And we have them in our heart and uh, after all these years. Uh, so that's a, tr- a true sentiment. I'm glad you read that. Uh, can,
2: can, I, can I ask you one more question before we close out? Um, have you guys, have any of the family members, I'm, I'm assuming you're still in touch with many of the family members, too, because usually that yeah. becomes a tight-knit group. And uh, by the way, I want to show people real quickly. You even have a a Facebook group. If people want to go, you keep it up to date. The last one was 15 hours ago. Um, It's called KAL007 Families and Friends. If you guys want to go there and like the page, um, if you want to follow this a little further. And then you also have your webpage, which is um, rescue007.org. And people can go there and check it out. You've got a lot of information that's linked to uh, in that. But let me ask you this. Have you been in contact with... uh, presidential administrations since the reagan administration uh and have you been in contact with the trump administration to ask them to look into this and and to, to find out what's going on
5: okay we, we, we have oh, tim let me just ask you this how much sure. time do i have because i just wanted to talk about the new evidence that came in yeah
2: go ahead go ahead no you go ahead and, and do what you need to do well i'll let you go as long as you need to go
5: okay finally uh we got we've stepped from evidence to proof finally uh uh, we've got proof of their existence. Now, what they are uh, is uh, the Soviet, the former, uh, it's not Soviet, Russian Federation Ambassador to South Korea got in touch with me and uh, gave me information about our passengers re- re- uh, arriving at Novelsk and showed me the photos, which I could blow up and magnify to really examine it thoroughly, of two cards, and I checked the names of the cards. It's a one passenger is So J Sun. She's executive designer with the Yong Kim Trading Company. She has her card. It's cardboard, and what's significant about it is that it, there is. No evidence whatsoever of water stains. It did not go through the currents of the Tatar Strait to go the 41 miles to Nevilsk from where the plane went down. It had to leave that plane with the passengers when they were taken. And, and the car came with the passengers uh, either by boat or by helicopter. Both were active in the, in the rescue and then they got to the port of Novelsk, and then there's a, the card of another man, and this is uh, 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 he was the uh, vice president of Ingersoll Rand, the, the Korean branch of Ingersoll Rand, and frequently traveled to uh, to uh, Korea from the United States, United States from Korea, and he was aboard the plane on business, and it was a rental card that was found And you sign your name, he signed his name, and it was, uh, it should have had water stains as well, but the ink is not smudged, and there is no evidence of water. So both of these cards were given to me, uh, the photos of the cards were given to me by the former Russian ambassador to South Korea. And he said that there's more to come. Unfortunately, he himself died on May 26, 2019. And I was contacted by somebody else that he told about our work. And uh, so I I don't know where to go from here, but we have evidence that there are people. What we think did happen is that the cards came with the people as they were taken with their purses or pockets or whatever things by the KGB and on the boats brought to the port of Novelsk, And both of these cards, were dropped intentionally we think that they were must have been a sign that they were alive they were dropped intentionally in the port and they were kept for 37 years maybe by one person by a number of persons the card of of the woman who's the uh, executive designer for this company it's a it's an old card these districts on the address of the cards do not exist anymore in Korea. The street names do not exist anymore, and we think that they were dropped purposely to let them let us know that they are alive. So, uh, so these fit in with the reports of the informer that they did go to that port of Novelsk and then were taken across the uh, the straits. And then uh, Larry McDonald was separated out and uh, brought to Moscow, to those two prisons, and then the Dacha, then the Karaganda in, Pakistan, uh, in Kazakhstan, and then Tamir Tau.
2: So let me so ask you, let me, let me ask you, just. On
5: now. yeah, let me, let
2: me ask you this. So, it would, and, and then I want to get back to the question I asked you before. Have you guys been to the yeah. administrations? Would it be your assessment? That no, hearing what you heard at the first, where I played Larry McDonald speaking out against the communists, against the the, the Soviets, uh, saying they've infiltrated, would it be? An, would it be? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, to me, it looks like this is no. what it is. They targeted that flight to get him, and in the process, they just took all these other people too. I mean, do you do you think that? Or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can't help but think that they were targeting him because he was exposing them.
5: Okay, that's a possibility. Okay, and I and I, I have other support. If they did not target him, then they knew he was on the plane. Uh, I sent you about the, uh, the the there's a satellite station which is which is at an American airfield, Old Foots Air Air Base, and uh, and the, those people contacted me that were there that should have got the message of warning from the plane. It could have been sent, and because the plane. They knew, the, uh, re- the U.S. reconnaissance plane knew about KL-07 and knew that it entered into harm's way. There should have been a message uh, report sent uh, to the NSA and then to the president's desk within 10 minutes of the event, and that would have stopped the plane from going forth. But there was no message. The reason why there was no message is because that satellite at Ofut Air Base uh, a, a nato satellite that was manned by u.s servicemen that satellite was sabotaged and uh their their transmission their their transmitter could not operate and there was a hot swap that should have immediately got into it and the hot swap was also damaged <clears throat> so there was no so they could not receive the warning message okay the people that worked at that satellite when they contacted me they came to this conclusion that had to be sabotaged from the inside, and it had to be a sleeper who was there a long time and accepted as one of the workers at the satellite station, in order to do that type of sabotage. That's their evaluation of it. So that would mean that that shootdown of KLO seven was also planned. And they knew that they had to cut off communication from the plane when it entered into their territory. The deviation ha- could have been planned intentionally to bring it into that area. So that's, and I do not have, uh, it's uh, so. Des- it's horrendous for me to think of the possible implications for the United States. Who cooperated who co- cooperated at that level and who kept knowledge away from other people? We've, we've had resistance to, to our, to our uh, uh, attempt to bring it. And by the way, we did go to Washington and we did speak to the staff of the aides of the Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, and the... Uh, and the uh, representative, the House of Representative, Intelli- uh, and the excuse me, um, uh, and and the the Foreign Relations Committee, we spoke to their aides of the Senate, and they said they would contact us me to, to tell us the progress of of this of their work on the information that we were given them. We gave them uh, the information I told you, but uh, also a lot of other information that that had to do with American POWs, which were also sent to the same places that the KLO 7 uh, people were sent. That letter that you read uh, that was dated on the 5th, uh, December uh, 5th, uh, 1991, uh, from Jesse Helms to Boris Yeltsin, that, that letter, excuse me, uh, on December 10th, that letter was preceded by five days with a letter that Jesse Helms wrote to Boris Yeltsin also with a lot of senators signing with him. And that letter that was sent five days prior to the letter of KLO 7 was about the POWs that were kept in the prison camps. So Jesse Helms was the only one that I know of that was working on both of these issues, the American POWs uh, th- that were held in the, the Soviet camps under the the, the, uh, the Moscow bound program uh, the, uh, from the Vietnam period and from prior to Vietnam period. And uh, Boris Yeltsin said on his presidential jets, yes, yes, our archives show that Americans soldiers were sent to the USSR and they may still be there. That's what he said. Can you imagine that he's admitting that that they were sent there? Well, he, well, Jesse Helms linked both those issues together: POWs and the KLO seven people, and he was the only one that I knew that really fought uh, for this.
2: Okay, all right. So, I, well, I'm glad that you're reaching out to to these people and stuff, um, and I know you've talked about the intelligence communities. Uh, what specifically, th- th- did you have anybody from the Trump administration you've tried to reach out to uh, yet?
5: From the Soviets?
2: No, no, no. From the Trump administration itself and not just the intelligence community. Trump- yeah. Okay.
5: There was one man uh, and I tried to reach out to him. And he was the uh, individual that was brought to me by your friend that got you onto me. Oh, uh, Evan? That's right. Yep. Okay. Evan, the one that tried to get the uh, other other one, uh, and then he was moved out and had another position. So that did not go through. Okay. Like I would like Trump actually to work on this.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it would be, it'd be great if, if, uh, you know, that would be a part of the thing, but you know, I've seen other patriots uh, who continue to languish in prisons, black site prisons here on us soil that are not authorized by Congress. Um, they, one of them is in Terre Haute, Indiana. And our friend Schaefer Cox still is in that prison, uh, stuffed in there with Muslim terrorists, where they do quote unquote enhanced interrogation. It's not really yeah. it's not really interrogation. It's heating up the floors. It's freezing them. Uh, one Christian man was be almost beheaded in there while the guards didn't look at any. That it's basically not on the map, and President Trump doesn't step in to, to help him, and he committed no crime. In fact, it was the same FBI. Who orchestrated themselves against the Trump campaign? Who set up Schaefer Cox? They were determined to kill him, his little his little kid, and his wife uh, in that. And then we have other people too. So I'm not surprised at that, Bert. I, I think it, and this is what I'm dealing with with people in the the chat. They want to make this just a political issue, and I'm I'm like, look, let's support the law. I think one of the things that you're getting at here is I want the truth because. In some manner, we desire justice and, ju- and yes. real justice is the application of the law. and when people don't see that, when they pick their political idols and things like this, this is the problem. this is really the problem. But Bert, I want to thank you for joining uh, us here on the Sons of Liberty uh, radio show. and guys, here's what we're going to do. Bert's giving me a lot of information. Uh, Bert, if you want to send me that photo uh, of McDonald, you said it was aged. Uh, and such. I didn't get that for some reason. I'm going to give people your website in the archives later this morning at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and you'll have a link to it in the video description once it's up on YouTube, okay? Uh, So if you guys are looking for it, it'll be up later this morning. I'll make that adjustment in YouTube so that you'll be able to see it. Uh, We'll also link to your Facebook, uh, the group that you've got there, the K.O the K L L 07 families and friends will link to that. I'll have the videos up that you saw at the first. I mean, you want to call Democrats back to their roots, uh, to the constitution, to the law and things pass that around. Uh, you'll get some, you'll get some heads spinning with that, but Bert, we appreciate you. Um, our, you know, our sympathies are with you, uh, regarding your family members, as well as the others and those of Larry McDonald, because even though I tend to think probably the plane was targeted for him, that doesn't dismiss the fact that there were other innocent people on that plane uh, who who met you know some kind of fate, somewhere or another, and uh, wrongful uh, wrongful fate. Uh, but it, but here at the Sons of Liberty, we believe in God's providence that even in those bad things, He works them together for our good. And uh, but but my desire, I know as well as yours, is to know the truth and to bring justice on those who were involved. And so I appreciate your time coming on this morning.
5: Uh, Tim, I could just say thank you for being in your position and having me on the show. And I I look to God to, to for His mercy and good to bring bring this about in your people and all the people that you you're you're feeling for. So thank you, Tim.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bert. Okay, guys, we're going to close out the show. And uh, again, we appreciate you, Bert, coming on with us. 23 and a half hours. Alex Newman is going to join us. Lord willing, we're going to talk BLM and witchcraft as well as the Great Reset and what that's really all about. It's not what you're being told from the Trump administration. It's going to be something else. You don't want to miss that. Join us then. We'll see you.